Welcome to the Moving Forward podcast. We have Aaron Hubbard back on again from Three Right Turns. He's going to be one of uh, several, I'd say at least half a dozen recur recurring guest stars, all of which are significantly to my left. He even calls himself Socialist Curious. Um, many of you probably already heard the last episode he did with me, which was 139. It was actually a crossover episode with Three Right Turns. Um, this is going to be the first one-on-one -on -one solo conversation that we have on Moving Forward podcast exclusively, and hopefully the first of many. We're going to mainly focus on propertarianism, which was actually his suggestion, but we're also going to riff a bit on our previous conversation. So if you haven't listened to 139 yet, I recommend you go check that out first. Say hi, Aaron. Hey, how's it going, Rio? I'm doing all right. What is propertarianism? Because like, um, I, I've never heard of that term. I don't know if, uh, if it's a term that uh, is like, it's a cute term you've invented or if it's actually a, a term. Um, it sounds like uh, uh, Catholic heresy. My dad's Lutheran, but I I'm propertarian. That, I thought it was a term that you were using, but no, it's actually... It's like, like, uh, the underpinnings of personal property, private property. Why is the world that as it is in 2020, um, why is that such a cornerstone for liberalism um, when clearly one's personal property and, and wealth are, are based on a lot of unjust systems and acquisitions over the last few centuries? Yeah, um, that's the question that you, you yeah. posed that I okay. kind of sidestepped in our last conversation because I recognize yeah. that it could be its own topic. Is that, um, is that propertarianism? Is that, is that what we're... <laughs> that's what we're discussing, yeah. Um, it it's, actually, <laughs> it's, a, it's actually... It's actually Chet in uh, 134 on our conversation on anarcho-communism used that term. But yeah, apparently it is actually a term that is used in, um, in, in, in communist um, discussions of the subject. Uh, but I'm actually ceding some ground by calling it that in a way, because essentially what I'm doing is I'm admitting that there is some, such a thing as propertarianism, which is to say that there is such a thing as a philosophy that centers a right to personal property and that that is something other than just the natural state of affairs, um, which okay. would be which would be Chet's argument. I, 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 I'm, I'm, I actually feel comfortable conceding that. I don't think that that's that much of a concession, though, because so much of our society is um, founded on philosophies that most people take for granted. Mm. Um, so it's not like it's unique in that respect. No, that's the whole idea of having a conversation is like, I don't think a lot of people do stop to question some of these deeper things. And like, why is this right? Because the thing is, is like, you know, um, if you've built your philosophical underpinnings on shaky ground, then you're to some to some extent or another, you're just kicking the intellectual can down the line and someone else is going to have to wrestle that problem. And maybe that's a good point for me to come in here and say that is despite being socialist curious, um, this, this is not, um, this is not a topic I'm coming into with fully formed ideas. This is not something that I'm calcified in. Um, these are things I'm actively learning and engaging with grappling with myself. Um, so I'm coming into this with maximum good faith and I've got intellectual curiosity and a willingness to be wrong. I'm, I'm, I'm fully expecting Rio to uh, really put me on my back heels with some facts and figures here that I'm going to have to do some serious thought and research on. And um, I hope that this, uh, if so, this can become a series of conversations where we can kind of uh, wrestle together and get to uh, or help each other to arrive at some approximation of truth. Because, or, or, or the other thing is like, I don't mind if we get down and we find, oh, well, there's just actually a first principle of some sort of morality or ethics that we fundamentally disagree on. That's perfectly fine too. Um, 
but you know, like I, I think it's it's tragic to argue over facts. You know, like facts are facts. Um, we can interpret it. We can apply our own moral philosophies. And I feel like a lot of people are talk are arguing over facts as a proxy for arguing over principles. So I'm really excited to have kind of like this first principles, um, you know, basic 101 conversation about you know property rights, personal property, and and that kind of economic justice. Yeah, I actually prefer your term property rights over Chet's propertarianism. But I mean, that, that shows you right there how your worldview can color the language you use. But to answer your question, sure. it apparently is a term <laughs> that is used um, in uh, uh, communist discourse. Um, ah, but, they're capital, uh, capitalist heresy. Well, it's, I mean, it's funny. <laughs> uh, capitalism itself is actually a term that originated um, in communist discourse, and it was intended to put down uh, liberalism and free markets. Um, and, and, and it just kind of caught on kind of like the big bang theory. Mm. Okay. So, um, well, <laughs> I don't know. I don't, before we jump in, I just want to say Aaron, I agree with you that it's important that we both do this with uh, good faith. Um, I'm not here to win an argument. I don't know if you think of it that way, but I, I really don't. Um, I'm not trying to make you look bad. I'm not worried about you making me look bad. I think that a lot of the time when people do um, have unproductive debates, it's because that's where they're coming from. You can see it on Twitter, right? It's mm-hmm. just what can I what can I say to discredit this asshole, right? right. On What's both the sides, biggest weapon just, in my bag to pull on this person. And when and if that's your goal, um, then you're going to debate, frankly, like the way Donald Trump does, right? Which is to uh-huh. say, you're just gonna. You're going to make up your own facts. You're going to lie. Um, you're going to deny the actual facts. You're going to attack the other person's character instead of their arguments, mm-hmm. etc. Right. So I, like yeah. you, I find it very difficult to be, frankly, even acquainted with people like that. I, I, I think it's a, it's almost a subhuman way of operating. So uh, I the other, I guess, aspect is like um, a lot of times when I have our arg- uh, discussions, not arguments, discussions like this. Um, some people can find it tedious because if uh, if you get like uh, if, if you start like a whole line of argument and like your first statement is something I fundamentally disagree with or don't understand, I'd like to interrupt you there and drill down on that because it's it's of little use you building a four legged table. If I think three and a half of those legs are rickety and, and termite infested and we can just, you know, uh, it, it's uh, it, it wastes a lot of time and then it, it feels like. Um, I feel like people start talking you pass each other because you're like, look, it's a table, you know, it's holding things off the ground. I'm like, yeah, but it's about to fall over. And we, and, you know, really, let's just talk about the first leg. You know, that's a small thing that we can discuss. And is it sound? We can test it. Um, so a lot of times, especially and I think that might be good for people. Um, I, what what is this? Uh, what is your audience? Is your audience primarily conservative, primarily liberal, primarily centrist? What would you say? Do you have a good uh, feeling on that? It actually, I think, is a kind of kind of runs the gamut. Uh, that's at least good. certainly from like center left to center right. And okay, I think that's, that's be- I think that's because you know it's been both conservative and progressive voices from the beginning. Um, yeah. I would say that it tends more toward the center, um, certainly more toward the establishment than your typical Yang podcast. Not that it is a Yang podcast. Uh, yeah. But a lot of our initial audience were Andrew Yang supporters, and Andrew Yang supporters, by and large, um, are kind of anti-establishment. This might be the only kind of pro-establishment 
um, Yang audience that anybody's built. <laughs> I think that if there if there are people still listening um, who are deeply anti-establishment and really really hate the political center and totally believe in a radical philosophy. Um, there are some of the more open-minded people because Corey and I spent 130 episodes shitting on all of that stuff, um, <laughs> from both a center right and a center left perspective. Uh, but you know, they, if they, they, they stuck it out, then they're getting rewarded because now they're getting people like Chet. Uh, so I, I mean, he Chet came, came and went, uh, maybe he's the reason they stayed, but yeah, I would say it's mainly, mainly kind of center left to center right. Uh, okay. social democracy, mixed economy. There aren't a whole lot of like anarcho capitalists in here, probably. Uh -huh. um, no, well, that, that's cool. A because lot of authoritarian communists. That's cool. Cause I feel like there's a lot of people in my position who, you know, I grew up very conservative, very, very conservative across every axis, social, economic. Um, and, um, you know, I found myself, you know, going more and more leftwards just because of, you know, I was a proud Bush supporter, proud supporter of the Middle Eastern wars. Um, and I got disillusioned because, um, you know, I found out a lot of my life was a, a lie in, in regards to religious, uh, upbringing in regards to like some of the, the, you know, backward social things I was taught as a child. And then when I turned, you know, it turns out a lot of the geopolitics shit, I'm being lied to about that stuff too. And I'm getting, you know, people that I trust and respect are, have led me down the garden path into uh, destructive, uh, non-constructive non non uh, wars, um, probably illegal wars or moral wars. I mean, that's something we could debate in, <laughs> if, if you care to. But like, I think, and then it's like, well, once you feel like everything has been a lie, then you start being curious about like, well, what else? Like, you know, um, all, all, uh, all this stuff about, you know, the American way and capitalism and stuff like that being tied up in that. And you look at other countries all my life, I've been told that, you know, just wait, Europe's going to go broke and bankrupt because the social stuff they're doing is just never going to work. And it turns out in 2020, a lot of places in Europe, a lot of places in, in Canada are looking significantly better um, just from a citizen's point of view. Yeah, yeah. I, I've States. never been that sort of fiscal conservative. Mm -hmm. um, I but you saw, that's why I say I think this conversation <laughs> is, is, is constructive because I feel like a lot of people are in the, the my position and maybe even your position where you feel like you, you don't have a party and, and maybe you're out in the, the wilderness philosophically and, and hearing two people in good faith kind of working through these issues, I think could be helpful for us and helpful for the audience so i'm excited i'm really excited yeah although to clarify i think that you should not be politically homeless um i think that it makes you it weakens you um if you allow that to happen to yourself uh so i'm a registered democrat and for the time being i'm a democrat i think that uh, there is something to be said about being a swing voter, which I've essentially been my whole life. Uh, swing voters actually can be really influential because the idea is you want to influence both parties to adopt mm -hmm. platforms that are closer to your own agenda. Um, yes. So I, I, I think everybody should be that. But right now, while the Republican Party is so radical, which is the real opposite of conservative and poses an existential threat to the status quo, uh, then I think we need to do whatever we can to defeat them first. Um, Agreed. And we're in, locked in a two-party system. I'd you love say that as somebody that. who thinks the status quo needs a lot of work, but you recognize there's a difference between improving it and blowing up civilization. Yeah, blowing up civilization is rolling the political dice and it's loaded against us. You know, like uh, the amount you can, uh, if you're a student of history, 
most revol- violent revolutions do not turn out in egalitarian justice oriented societies they just they just don't um it's more often you know overran by corrupt warlords uh, pushing their own private agendas and whipping up uh, pop populist uh, ugly sentiments and it, it's really gross and 20th century history littered with those examples um so yeah no i want um you know i was just i actually talking to another socialist on three right turns this week and um i feel i say that uh, too many socialists want to take a rickety ass biplane and take it up a mile high cliff and push it off and see what happens. And I'm I'm advocating for Wright Brothers socialism. Can 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 we can we go at a, a brisk running pace and float three feet off the ground? Uh, is it even flight? Are we out of the ground control effect? I don't know, but we you know we we just made it a hundred yards. Like, can we go a hundred fifty? I I revolution is the rickety biplane off a mile high cliff and. And, uh, you know, until the Wright brothers did the slow and steady approach, uh, humans didn't enjoy powered flight. And now we do. Um, so well, that, yeah, that's, that's what I find most frustrating about the radical left is that they seem not to recognize that the um, establishment that they're attacking is what should actually be their goal. Their goal should be the establishment, not just to tear it down. Their goal should be to influence the ways that we approach our social democratic policies um, to move them more in the direction they want to go. Frankly, they're, they're the equivalent of, of uh, naive far right people who won't settle for anything less than gutting the entire social safety net overnight. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, You (laughs) like you, you try to move the needle. We're in a social democratic system. We are not in a, a a purely uh, um, liberal or a purely socialist system. It's a mixed system. And so the debate is where exactly should that that needle be? Some people think it should be all the way to, in one direction, um, and some people think it should be somewhere in the middle. But there's lots of different ways to be in the middle too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the Overton window, understanding our place, and that's something I'll be referring to a lot. I know you you've uh, made reference to it too. Is like I feel like um, knowing our place on the Overton window and what our job is um, within the Overton window to shift it in, you know, like uh, the, the, I I don't care so much of like what a person's political goal is. um, But I really hate when I see a person's stated political goals, not line up with their actions. And, you know, the, the reality is in our political system, there's actions that are politically, beneficial and there's actions that are politically neutral and there's actions that are politically detrimental and it really drives me crazy when people are acting in detrimental ways to their ideals and their stated you know policy so i try to i try to avoid that and call it out where i see it in uh you know my friends and associates um but yeah uh what's yeah yeah so to cl- so to clarify i i definitely can see how you might if you were convinced by the argument that sure we all would like socialism in theory but it doesn't work in practice um then i would say that applies to full-fledged socialism and and always has um but it clearly very clearly does not apply to the kinds of social democracies that we have in europe um and and that we have here so people who were telling you that that was they were just full of shit um where i'm coming from is more of a first principle thing. And so that's why we're going to kind of get into it. Like I'm just coming from a different moral framework. I have a different conception of what is just and what is right. Um, I might have a different conception of freedom. Um, so before we get into the details of it, why don't you just start by laying out your case 
against property rights. Not not that I'm saying you're arguing against them per se, but against right, yeah, what, no, you they're, see, they're what you see is the, the problems with the concept. I'm just asking questions, man. I'm just, yeah. just backing here. Yeah. Uh, so uh, there's a there's distinction between, I think, personal property and property rights. You know, um, I think that a lot of times we get the two th- uh, things uh, mixed up. For example, I think that everyone should have a right to feel secure in their own homes. Uh, they should own the clothes on their own back. Uh, they should, uh, you know, the pro- property that they, they use, um, their, their cars, um, you know, uh, the, the, the land that they are currently living on. Uh, if you want to get, if you want to get a boat, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not anti people owning stuff, right? I want people to have those things. And I want the state to protect, uh, those things from people that would take them unjustly. Right. Um, but I, I, when I, when I look at the world, and I see that um, under liberalism, under the tenets of liberalism, which has advanced, you know, humanity a, a, hell, a hell of a lot. I'm not going to take away any of the achievements of, of liberalism, capitalism, industrial revolution. Um, but I think we can all see that there's also been some problems caused. And I, I think that liberalism, which has counted so many restrictions on an individual's military power, for example, uh, that you can't own certain guns. You can't have a private army. You can't buy an aircraft carrier or a nuclear weapon because of course not, right? Of course, there's huge problems for individuals to have that much power. We understand that. Uh, we limit people's political power uh, in, 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 in term limits. You know, uh, you can't serve in perpetuity. You can't become a king. You can't then bequeath this position hereditary to somebody. You can't, uh, uh we'll have restrictions on how much money that you can get in certain ways and, 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 uh, getting money and power in these ways are corrupt and illegal. We put restrictions on that. That makes sense because again, of course, of course you can see the problems with people amassing too much political power, but liberalism puts scant few restrictions on anyone's economic power. If you want to be a billionaire, that's fine. It's something to be lauded. It's something to be looked up to. It's something to be emulated. Um, We're breathlessly going to just report on the world's first trillionaire, and it's going to happen in our lifetimes. Um, It's not about uh, a home that you and your family are secure in and a neighborhood in which uh, your community is secure in. It's about um, multiple homes, dozens of homes, owning homes to rent to other people that, re- that leads to rent-seeking behavior. Um, we have all of this evidence that this excess of personal property, um, of wealth, causes pr- problems, um, both politically, both uh, like to, to does harm to individuals, it does harms to um, segments of populations around the, uh, the globe. But for whatever reason, um, we don't want to really have serious talks about limiting that economic power. And I'm not saying that there, I have a a good idea of how to do that. Um, I think, you know, higher tax rates is a good way to like, you know, not make it, I don't want to make being billionaires illegal. I would like to make billionaires exceedingly hard to exist within a a fair uh, framework that redistributes the wealth that they're generating um, into a better society, a more fair and free society. And I think if we do that, our society, uh, like the, the, the bulk happiness of everyone around us will increase. And to me, that's like, an, you know, as important to, to have society's happiness increase as well as to maximize individual happiness, because I don't think the two are unrelated at all. 
that seems like a pretty good opening statement. Uh, what, <laughs> what are the problems with it? Um, <clears throat> well, I mean, as you phrased it, I don't necessarily disagree with it per se. One, one thing to point out is that there is, um, there's more than one way to address the problem that you laid out there. Um, and taking away property rights doesn't have to be part of it. Um, so my argument would be that taking away pro property rights from a first principles point of view is immoral, um, and therefore we should take it off the table. Um, and, and also when societies start violating basic human rights, um, they tend for other human rights tend to follow. And you've, you've seen that happen. I know you're against authoritarianism, so you right. would be against, um, presumably uh, state governments violating people's human rights. Uh, so I guess I would start by trying to persuade you that I think the right to own property is an important uh, human right that should be counted as just as important as any other human right. I um, agree with you. Oh, you do agree with that, actually. Yeah. I just think that, like, as I outlined in my opening statement, that the respect that we accrue personal property is almost perversely more than we give... First Amendment rights, Second Amendment rights, uh, security, you know, talk about being secure in our private possessions like our Fourth Amendment and Fifth Amendment rights been uh, steadily eroded uh, and largely in the names uh, in the name of preserving property. Uh, see, that, that's the other. So, so there are a couple of places where I did disagree with you. Um, but your overall point about there needing to be some balance, I, that is, I think, a, a very valid point. I think that, and, and I think that sometimes like different um, interests that are all equally um, important um, do have to be weighed against each other because in real life, uh, you know, you have to you have to make trade offs. Um, and I, I would I would agree that we shouldn't allow one um, a, a essential human liberty um, to completely corrode others uh so to the extent that you're trying to avoid that i, I would actually share that goal all right cool so what is what are the things you disagree and let's let's drill <laughs> and like i said um i, I it, the I think one of the cruxes of our disagreements is when we say personal property, I'm going to be like, yes, you know, your clothes, shirt on your back, house, roof over your head, um, uh, your your personal business. Like if you got a shop front and all that kind of stuff, um, you know, people should not be able to take that away. People should not be able to do that, at least essentially not without due process um, and, and recompense and, and compensation, all those kind of like, you know, crazy liberal values. Um, I just want to draw a distinction between that because that is what 99.9999% of our experience with personal property is and something like Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk, where we're talking hundreds of billions of dollars. We're talking about um, enterprises that are obviously violating existing antitrust laws and legislation, um, people who own dozens of houses, people to own like neighborhoods, um, and and through the rent seeking behavior making uh housing uh unaffordable to the common man and woman like you know I, and and maybe you're not this and I, I probably not because you know you're part of the yang gang or part of a ubi that's essentially kind of a form of market socialism but like there are people who will act like you know raising the marginal rates on billionaires salaries is a unjust and immoral act yeah, so I, I think i think that's one place where we can find some common ground i think it seems to me 
that in calling yourself social socialist curious, even though you're not actually advocating for socialism, you're advocating for, you might say you're advocating for moving a little bit more toward the social side of social liberalism than we are now, yes. or maybe yes. even a lot more toward it. And, and I might draw the line much um, in a different place um, from you, but you're not advocating for pure socialism. Um, at some point, I want to actually ask you, so maybe I'll just ask you now since it came up again. I mean, what do you see as the difference between what you're calling market socialism and just what we have already? Um, so I think that part of there's so many goals that that socialists have right and one of them is like you know decommodification right um and i think there's a lot of areas in our markets that do not work um market forces don't apply you know and you know healthcare is a great example right um I go and I'm, you know, I'm thinking about buying a PlayStation five for the family this week, this, this Christmas, right? Um, if that price is $300, I don't even think about it. I'm going to buy that son of a bitch. If the price is $500, I'm like, Ooh, Ooh, ooh. but you know, we play a lot of video games in this house. It's probably worth it. The price is $800. I tell them to fuck themselves and I go get a $500 graphics card for my PC and we just part ways with consoles forever, right? Market forces working and they work beautifully. Um, I get shot in the chest. Um, I don't have got time to shop for like, what's the best bullet wound place? Uh, who's got the most efficient, uh, hospital service. Who's got the cheapest, uh, most efficient and cleanliest, uh, ambulances. I need this sucking chest wound sealed up by the best, uh, men and women that we have available to save my presumably precious human life. Um, so healthcare is a place where I don't think the markets really work because if you need healthcare to save your life, there's infinite money that you will spend. Like there's no limit to the amount of money that you'd spend to save your own life or someone uh, that who, who you love, right? Um, and in America, there's still resistance to that idea. Um, and there's and 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 you know there's a slippery slope here, and I think that yeah there is, and I think over the generations to come we'll probably slide down that slope. But there's some things like uh, food, um, uh, 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 housing. There needs to be some kind of guarantee of a basic min minimums of, of that um, because, you know, it's, it's just it, it seems like fundamentally an unjust and moral society that will allow some people to have billions of dollars and be these kind of like gods and pharaohs and kings of old and yet oh, there's hundreds of thousands of people to live under uh underpasses in the same country i don't think that's a stable society i think that's a, a society that's ripe for upheaval and chaos and insurrection and oh, okay. those places I, are shitty if you don't mind i'd like to step in here now <laughs> yep do yeah, it. I, I think you i think you made your point um yeah so that's that's a standard argument for uh, socialized medicine. Um, we already have lots of things in our society that are socialized, including medicine is, is socialized mm -hmm. to a significant degree already, although you would like to make it further, I understand. And there are countries that have done so and it's worked out just fine for them, right? So I'm not somebody who's going to argue that uh, doing that is going to lead to some obvious deleterious outcome. I will stand by that statement to the end of time when it comes to actual full-fledged socialism. But when the, the thing is that you're proposing well, full-fledged so, I mean it would be it would it would be doing away with capitalism. So I, I, I personally think um, market socialism is kind of an oxymoron. I guess you could say that it's possibly like for example if you were to create a commune 
where everybody get it gets exactly the same amount of money every month. Um, and then you let the market play itself out. Uh, a, a real like hardcore socialist would say, well, it's only a matter of time before all that money is accrued by one person. And even if the other people are keep keep getting money every month, then, you know, they're still going to have less. Right. And so the, the, the full fledged um, socialist goal is equity as opposed to equality. It's that everybody has the same exact things, the same exact, or at least no, the same I, value just, of things, I, the same exact. I, 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 I there's no, there's no room for an economic hierarchy. There's no faith in, in, in um, even a possible possibility of a, of a meritocratic system. Uh, it's fundamentally hostile to capitalism. And um, I, I guess, I guess you could, I guess you could argue that it would be closer to full fledged socialism if you got rid of the ability to own the means of production or to own capital. Um, and you still, you know, you still had money, but I would argue that that is not, even there, you're not all the way to the other side. You're just much closer to it. Well, I mean, there's a lot to, I mean, in your description of capitalism or socialism, I agree with, but like, I think you run away at the end where you say like, they want everyone to have the same stuff and be exactly the same. I don't think that, um, even in my wildest dreams of like Star Trek style socialism <laughs> that, uh, I, I believe that. And since I'm a socialist, I'll, um, I'll just say, it's like, I just disagree with that. I think that that's a common, um, misunderstanding or it's a it's a common like straw man argument towards socialism that they just you know it's it's essentially jealous of people that have better stuff than that and they want everyone to have the same uh shitty stuff instead of some people having nice shit and some people having shitty stuff and some people having nothing at all um but yeah you know you got you got you got a lot of stuff um i suggest that market socialism is essentially um Le allowing private property uh, or allowing the means of production the to um uh remain in private hands but the wealth generated from that market uh you redistribute and i think that like yang's but do you redistribute like a hundred percent of it or do you just redistribute ten percent of it like where, where well do you i mean so way? i'm a i'm a democratic socialist so my thing is like i will redistribute as much as the as, as i can convince my fellow man to do and then we will see how that works out and if it's working out well i hope i can convince more to give more um and we'll find yeah, some see, i wonder i wonder if equilibrium I wonder, I mean, once again, fully acknowledging, and I, I think that there's a, there's a, there's a, um, a, a noble honesty to your approach to this. Um, I'm trying. You, I'm trying to set an example for fucking socialists. <laughs> Pay attention. Pay attention, socialists. I'm trying here. This is how we go forward, I think. <laughs> well, I, what I'm saying is I think that there is a, a, a noble honesty to the fact that you, you are calling that socialism in a way, because rather than shrinking away from a word that uh, terrifies a lot of people, you're, mm -hmm. just, you're just owning it. And I kind of respect that. And in a sense, what you're saying is true. I mean, the debate is indeed like how far toward the social side of social liberal should we go? Um, and I definitely wouldn't go as far as you're proposing. In fact, I would actually prefer we move back toward the liberal side more. I think we've already gone too far toward the social side. Um, and we oh, can wow. get into, okay. we can get into specific um, policy proposals, uh, which I, for example, I think we should definitely do a whole conversation about healthcare, but for now I'll just leave it at there's, there are ways that you could make it so the market would actually work better for healthcare than it does, and and also simultaneously provide a guarantee that everybody will get better than adequate healthcare. Um, 
We should definitely have that conversation. I'm not yeah, it's a, like it's I'm a, like it, we're well, going to spin that's off. That's what I find interesting. <laughs> it's like where, where could where, where if we if we are going to find consensus, and I think it's going to actually be harder with you than it was with Corey because I'm still convinced that you're more to the left of him, whether you realize it or not. <laughs> oh, I, I, I I think so. I think so. I think I'm a little bit le- lefter than Corey. Um, uh, but that said, I think we can still find consensus because not um, because even if we do have different first principles philosophically, um, and, and and I don't think we're as far apart philosophically on property rights as as I thought coming into this conversation. So I'll take it back. Well, like, to, I, I, to also, like, but like we can, but we can find consensus we on. Well, let me finish this. We can find consensus on policy um, by starting with with like, okay, so this would be my default position, right? So my default position on property rights is I want the government to um, infringe upon them as little as possible, right? And I and I think that in a lot of ways, it already infringes upon property rights too much. But I'm not a, a dogmatist who says that the government can't ever um, set any um, restrictions on, on property rights. Um, so I think we could find common ground despite our philosophical difference by, by talking about different ways of achieving a a goal that we both agree would be a good thing. So like, for example, I think think we would both agree that it would be a good thing if there was no poverty, it would be both agree that it would be a good thing if what we currently consider the middle class or even the upper middle class becomes the new floor. Um, and I think there's more there's more than one way of doing that. And there are there are ways of doing it that are closer to the socialist sides and there are ways of doing it that are closer to the liberal side. But in a way, it doesn't matter because I, I think that if we can persuade each other that there's a common solution that we would both be happy with, regardless of of uh, where you might want to place it on that spectrum, that we could get behind it then. Well, so I want to have it. I want to make an opposite suggestion. I want to run deeper into first principles because I think one of the reasons we're like, oh, wow, 20 minutes in this podcast done uh, is because I do have a conservative background and like I've danced this this side of the dance and I know like most of the ready arguments for and against personal property. So I'm just kind of like ready to see kind of like. Uh, but maybe I can like put my leftist, my my dumbass leftist hat on and ask some questions to get at those fundamental things, because I think we'll have subtle disagreements or ways of looking at it that will then be revealed when we get to. The yeah, point. we actually have one kind of already. Um, I, I, I don't know if, if this qualifies as a philosophical disagreement or not, but I would say that what you said about um, what you said about the fact that we don't uh, limit personal property in the same way I'm not sure I economic power I well I'm not sure well the okay so what I would what what I would argue is that we tax people's income um we tax the income of uh we tax people on income that it just takes to survive which I would consider regressive and and runs counter to the goal of ending poverty and helping more people become independently wealthy, which, which is essentially um, what we would actually need in order to solve poverty because wealth is the solution to poverty, not the cause of it. Maybe that's a disagreement. Would you disagree with that statement? No. uh, In fact, I want to like, cause man, we're so close to like, I feel like being fully understood. Um, The way you'd expect a society to regulate something where the more you have of something, the the more dangerous you are, is there like uh, think about in terms of gun control, you know, and like in states that are pretty permissible with guns. If you have just a shotgun or a simple uh, semi-automatic handgun or uh, even a long rifle, you can open carry that. Right. 
um, because people can see it. They can see you coming. If it uh, makes them uncomfortable, they can leave. Uh, it projects some side of protection. There's lots of arguments you can make for that. Uh, but if you want to conceal, if you want to have that power, but not let the, but not let people know you have it, you have to go through training and licensing. You know, like Ohio is one of the, I think, better states where you have to do like two weeks of training and firearms proficiency and whatnot before you get and, you know, get get all kinds of background checks before you get it. Uh, then if you want to get a silencer for your weapon, well, now you got to you have to have there's even more restrictions and there's a more intensive background check and you have to get the stamp from the uh, a, a uh, alcohol firearms and tobacco uh, um, agency. And and then if you want a grenade launcher, there's like and then then you start running the flat restrictions. I want to buy a decommissioned jet trainer. Well, it's got average radar removed and it can't have its missile hard points. And like the more power that you try to there's more limitations on it. Same thing politically, you know, like uh, the things you can do as a dog catcher are completely different than the things that you're able to get away with as the president of the United States. Right. The more power you have, the more limitations and restrictions. In the society I look in America, um, and I have firsthand experience with this being an entrepreneur myself, it works the opposite. It is so hard to go from crushing poverty to just making it. It is very hard to go from just making it to being comfortable and thinking about planning for the future. It is very difficult to go from that to actually, and, and it's, it's fraught with peril. You know, you get a significant sickness. Uh, one of your parents turns out to be an alcoholic. Someone gets a, uh, you know, an addiction, a serious disease, and it can wipe out an entire family from building into that American dream. Right? It's so hard. But the more the the gap from going to kind of comfortable and well off, and your kids are going to college, to hey, you own your own business, and now you're making it. It gets easier and easier the more money and the more. Yeah, yeah no, I, I I actually agree with that point, and I, I still feels, I, I, so, so, I, I'm I, glad I feel like that's that's the big problem well, I, I have I, intellectually. It yeah, doesn't but the, feel but like the problem. The the where where I might disagree is that I would um, have a different diagnosis. I remember in our previous conversation, you said something like uh, neo Nazis you know, no, can tell you honestly what the problems are in our society, but their, yeah, yeah, yeah. their solutions are bad. I think that there is a, a further uh, level of nuance there that's important to point out, which is that they might be, they might be to use the medical metaphor, they might be um, pointing out many um, real symptoms, but their diagnosis is wrong, which means they don't really know what the real problem is, right? They don't know what is causing the symptoms. They don't know what the disease is that they have. And therefore, that's why their prescriptions can't be correct. You can't give somebody the right medicine if you have the wrong diagnosis. And I think we see too much ground when we say that they know the problems. I don't think they know the problems. I think they know the symptoms, but they don't know what the real underlying problem is, right? Okay. And I would say that's also true about socialists because while i agree with you that it's unfair and that it's not um it should be much easier for people to uh make it out of poverty in fact i believe that we could create a society where um at least within our borders poverty is eradicated um agreed but i i, I and i think that it should be easier for people to move up the ladder when they're lower 
um, than, than, I mean, not necessarily easier than it is when they're higher, but it should be easier than it is. But like where I think that the left gets the diagnosis wrong is that I think that, I think that, I think that many of the obstacles that make it hard for people to enter the capitalist class are actually consequences of the fact that we've already moved too much toward the social side of social liberalism. Okay, can we stop and, and rewind the conversation? Because you, um, you said something fascinating there, where you said, uh, "I agree that it's too hard to move out of crushing poverty to just even making it to being like lower, <laughs> the low class, you know, um, uh, to where you can like you know pay the bills as you make it." Um, and you said, well, "And I, I think actually, should, I, I, I wait, 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 wait. I haven't got to the okay. Wait, wait. I want to get to my clarification, then I'll seed back to you." Um, and then you said, and I and I want to make it easier uh, or as easy to gain wealth at the lower classes as. And, and then you hesitate. It's like, well, maybe not as, as easy or easier. Why do you want it to be more difficult for? And then maybe you don't. Maybe you just misspoke. But but I think this is a this is some. I'm getting at something here. Why are you comfortable saying it's okay to make poor harder to come out of poverty than it is to be wealthy to be incrementally wealthier? Why okay, should yeah. That? So to to because. The answer to that is because I, I do think that there are certain um, liberties that the government shouldn't encroach upon. And it's, if it's not necessary to encroach, encroach upon them in order to create a, be, uh, a better society, then we should not do so. I think that, I think that as long as we have a capitalist system, um, people who have a lot of capital are going to be able to accrue wealth faster. Um, and there's no way of getting out of that without actually moving away from capitalism itself. Um, and and th that's that's the actual leftist's argument. I, I don't disagree with that point, but I think that what it takes to move away from capitalism is such an egregious violation of human liberty that it should be off the table. Um, and so there, well, let, let me clarify. That, let, me, let me clarify. So I, I, I think that also um, coming out of crushing poverty um, in our system is actually fairly easy. Um, not everybody manages to do so because some people, especially like with the mentally ill, is a huge problem because we don't properly mm -hmm. take um, and take that into account in our system. And don't I, even I think try, that's another really. area of yeah. shared agreement, probably. But people mm -hmm. who are reasonably competent or who have reasonably competent people who care about them are able to rise ah, out of crushing yes. poverty. Rushing, crushing poverty is not really a problem in the United States. Um, whoa, 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 whoa. Okay. Is, well, hard, hard disagree. We got to stop. We, we got to stop. We got to stop. <laughs> okay. We got to stop right now. This okay, is a hard. Then we're going to have to get into the facts next. Um, I agree. Crushing poverty, individual poverty, if you have a support system, if you have friends and family who are not in crushing poverty with you, is relatively easy to get away to get out of. But that is, and 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 unfortunately. I don't th agree when we talk about generational crushing poverty um, that where your none of your friends, none of your family have had any of that success and you've been stuck there for at this point in generations and it happens in urban locations and it happens in very rural locations. It's this crushing poverty. Um, I, I, I think we think, might just have a different standard for what we consider crushing poverty. But what I'm, what I'm saying is we have systems in place for people who have that level of poverty. It's not just you have to have a support structure in terms of other people willing to help you out financially. It's if you are capable of navigating a bureaucracy 
or you have someone who's capable of navigating a bureaucracy in your life, then we have systems that take people out of crushing poverty and give them all of the basic necessities that they need. But again, the argument that you've made so far is not for anything that I would recognize as actual socialism. It's it's for moving more toward the socialist side of the socialist liberal compromise, but it's not what I would call socialism. Um, and so what I, I think that our, we don't disagree on first principles as much as you might think. Uh, but I do want to answer your question about why I wouldn't want it to be easier. Um, it's not even necessarily that I, I wouldn't want it to be easier. It's just that I think that I, re- I will um, concede the point that the only way to, do, to solve the problem of the fact that it's easier for people to acquire wealth faster when they have vast resources um, would be to violate um, capitalism, to uh, move away from capitalism. And that's not something that I, I'm willing to do on moral ground, on moral okay, ground. So, so just, just, just to, to clarify, you say that you find it immoral to take away a greater share of someone's wealth that they generate as they generate greater wealth. Like the more you produce, like, like it sounds like you're fundamentally against um, no, progressive not, tax rates. No, that's not it. I, what, I'm against the kind of progressive tax rate that we have, um, and I'm against really egregious tax rates. So, like, let's just put things into, into some perspective here. So we already have income taxes. The income taxes are progressive. It is unfortunate that we tax labor more than we tax capital gains, et cetera. Agreed. And that is the real reason why um, why higher tax rates don't pay as high an effective tax rate, um, and that is something that we that is something that we we should resolve. But even if we were to resolve that, people with capital are going to acquire capital faster. But but what my solution is, I want to help everybody get into the capitalist class. I want to have a situation where we're all capitalists and we're competing within that system, and the floor is so high that even if you fail, you're never going to fall below upper middle class. If we can agree that that's a good shared goal, then I think we can move forward from there. No, I think that's that's where I would like to see if we can get. And then from there, that's what I would consider like, you know, your uh, I, I, f- I feel like the way we'll get there is through some sort of, you know, Wright Brothers, socialism, capitalism mix. Because, see, like maybe that's where I will. Actually, I don't even know. Then, if we, then we'll about decide, that, but, we can decide if we're still allies. And if, if you want to stop there, then great. Maybe I will, too. And then if people want to continue push to see how far we can maximize that growth until Maybe we need a correction. I mean, that's democracy, right? That's yeah. I'm fine with that. Okay, so I want to let you. I, I, I want to let you do your deeper um, dive into um, the fundamental disagreements because I do feel like we absolutely need to move um, to some facts. But like just just facts that are not in con- that are not in contention right now. Um, yeah. it, like I'm just saying, this like this is these are just this is just the reality that we already live in. Not only do we have income taxes, but we also have property taxes, which are by definition only paid by people who own property. Um, and in societies that have them, it's been shown that they're actually more effective at equalizing society than wealth taxes are. Um, and so that's actually an argument that Yang made in a debate against Warren, and he's right about that. That countries like France that tried a wealth tax found that it was not working, and they had to do away with it and return to a property tax system. So we have we tax people on income, we tax people on their property, which I would say right there is already putting some limitations on property. And then we have very, very high estate taxes 
something like 50%, depending on what state you're living in. So federal and state taxes um, on uh, inheritance, right? So it's just not true that we don't have any limitations on those things. Uh, We we have very high limitations on them already. I, I just, but, and I'm just saying that like, um, unless you fundamentally disagree with the statement I made about the fact that it's much, much easier to make money when you're wealthy than, or to, to change your class situation when you're wealthy than when you're poor. Um, I'm not arguing that we have none. I'm arguing that it doesn't look like a society that really cares about. Okay. Yeah. The so, the, so, so that's, that's where the diagnosis situ- situation comes in, because I would point out that there are many obstacles that two people becoming part of the capitalist class that are a consequence of the fact that we already have moved toward the social liberal side of things. Um, so for, for example, we should not tax people. I would propose we should not tax people on the income that it takes to live, but we do. I think we should have a much higher standard deduction than we have. In fact, I would I would actually set the standard deduction at the level that it takes to become modestly wealthy and then only tax above that. Because I think that like a really big obstacle to people escaping escaping the lower class or the middle class, and I think people escaping the middle class is necessary in order for them to become capitalist, is the fact that we already tax those people too much. So I, that's, that's, a, that's a solution that, that's a solution that we, you know, it, it doesn't, it doesn't have to always just be about, let's make it even harder for people to keep their wealth once they have it, because the main oh, obstacle to people becoming girl. wealthy is the government. Hmm. Hmm. I don't agree with that at all, but, um, that's fine. Cause, uh, I think that. You know, I agree with all of what you said, essentially. Um, it does annoy me sometimes that we we all the time conflate like wealth and income, um, because as you say, yeah, if you're just taxing people's income, you that is a um, that is an obviously anti labor uh, <laughs> regressive form of taxing because the truly wealthy don't work. Right. Their right, money. But, but, the, but these are but these are things that we ha- so that I guess it sounds like we're agreeing then. Like, mm-hmm. I think we need to have a very high standard deduction. We can, but, you know, but we socialism. Can, why? Why are you accusing socialism of making these this, this 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 tax the way it is? Because like socialists are, they're the ones that are annoyed at the fact that we're, um, you know. Yeah, but you say that's that's actually not true. There are a lot of people who oppose socialism and who consider themselves economically right wing, who would share your concern that it's too difficult for people to become rich. In my experience, true socialists don't want anybody to be rich because they find the concept of, of wealth to be uh, morally repugnant. Um, and, and so that's where I disagree with a real socialist so, is that I want more wealth in this world. I want more people to be wealthy, not the other way around. I mean, so, okay, let's, let's, let's stay at this level, this definition level for a bit. Um, I think it's frustrating as a newly minted socialist, as a former capitalist, um, and I'm Maybe still, I guess, I'm still going all the way there yet. I said social socialist curious is more accurate for what. You yeah, are. but 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 like but but I'm trying to push back because you can call yourself a capitalist, but you're not ruthless, you know, robber baron capitalist. Um, you're not. Yeah, like, I, I don't actually. Wait, wait. I wouldn't recognize the a, a ruthless robber baron capitalist as an actual capitalist. Like I, I, do, I, I think that the distinction so between capitalism. Right, and, I, I think that the distinction right between capitalism and kleptocracy is just as meaningful uh, as that between capitalism and communism. Uh, I mean, 
yeah but like you the, like the 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 idea that like we're in, we, I, I live in a country where like everyone you want to start really drilling down on the the evils of capitalism then people will be like well i don't know that's not even true capitalism that's not my kind of capitalism and yet you want to tell me what socialism is and what true socialism is and define that in, in a system that has gone through two red scares and McCarthyism and a concentrated, you know, do you agree that there was a concentrated propaganda uh, arm of our government that pushed anti-socialist anti Yes, and I'm glad it was there. <sighs> well, then. I that did can can I express skepticism at the accuracy of your labels and what true socialism and stuff is? Then I mean or, I don't know. I'm not sure that arguing like, I feel like the, is I the feel, most I, interesting I, thing we can do. I, I, I know, but I feel I like that's that what you want. That, that's that's what that's what is happening. You know, like you you're hung up and like, well, you you know, Aaron, you don't sound like a true socialist because a true socialist would do this and that. And I'm like, well, I mean, I don't know. I could I could have these arguments with. Um, you know, I, well, but I, I keep in mind that this is coming. I'm coming at this from the perspective of somebody who does also argue with people who call themselves socialists and who do back too, what yeah. I am calling actual socialism. Right. And so I'm just trying to put things into the perspective of a broader conversation with other people. Right. I'm not I'm not trying to pull a fast one on you. Um, no. I, I'm just saying I'm saying that there's more than one way to skin a cat. Um, and that, you know, it's not true that we don't already put vast limitations on property rights. Um, so I'm, I'm going to go ahead and get out whatever it is that you feel like you need to say, but I would, I would like to move to, um, to some, some relevant facts on the topic of property rights. Well, okay. So let's, let me, let me go back to the first print. Um, why do you hold property rights? in as high regard as you do other individual liberties, like the right of freedom of religion, the right of personal expression, the right of, um, you know, to, the, the right to peacefully assemble, the right to, um, you know, be secure in your personal, per, you know, I guess those are related, but like, why, why do you, why do you hold property rights um, is as in high regard or even maybe higher? Cause I felt, I felt like that at some point you said that maybe they are the ultimate like expression of liberalism or something like that. Can you explain to me like, why is that? And then I'm going to try to like, you know, delve into that to try to make it clear to me. Um, well, I don't necessarily. So maybe you'll actually find that, um, positive, right? I don't, I don't necessarily consider property rights more important than rights like free speech or, you know, the right to, to a free press or to the, the right to assemble, et cetera, um, or the right to bear arms. I, I, I don't, yeah. I don't hold them as more sacred, but I, I think that an absolute violation of any of those things is, should be off the table. Um, and I'm open to discussing how far should we go in limiting them? And the reason I believe it's necessary to limit them and the only moral justification ever for limiting one of these liberties is to protect another liberty. Right. And so it's about finding the balance of the trade-offs in real life yeah. because it's, yeah. because it's not possible to have um, like absolute perfect liberty is not attainable. It's a utopian ideal um, that dogmatists on the far right are guilty of uh, making a sacred cow, right? So I would just want you to make, hopefully, someday down the road, as we talk about this a lot, you might realize, maybe I'm wrong, but I think that the 
the, the dogmatic ideal of the radical left is equally unattainable and is equally deleterious to society when we aim for it. What is that? Can you succinctly state that that goal of the radical left to see if I can repudiate it or not? It, well, you don't, it's, it's not it's not a goal that you share. So you're not radical left by my definition, although I'm not going to tell you what to call yourself, of course. No, um, I just want to know what, yeah, what no, it would be. The, it would the be the, um, the ending of property rights. Nobody owns anything. There's no capitalism. There's there, there's no there's you. you some people um, support a market who call themselves socialists. That's true. Some people support what they call personal property who call themselves socialists. That's true. And there's different conceptions of that as well. Um, I would say that those people aren't all the way, although they are already farther than I would want to go. Right. So I, I just think it's important to put all of this in, into a, a broad perspective about no, I what, agree. Are, what are the, the avenues that are available to us and where do we really fit on it? I agree. Um, so do you, cause here's, that's the thing. It's like, I feel like I've heard you call um, like AOC and Ilan Omar radical leftists. Do you think that they want to abolish personal property? And and at what point do they want to abolish personal property? Actually, my main concern with AOC and Ilan Omar and Bernie Sanders and people like that is that I guess what I would say is I have two problems with with socialism. One problem is is just with the practical um, reality that I think that it would be bad for society to go too far down that road. And it would certainly be very bad for society to go all the way down that road. But then there's another problem, which is that I think that when people who really are only advocating social liberal policies and not full socialist policies call themselves socialists, um, I think that has a negative political consequence due to optics and branding and rhetoric. And given the rise of fascism in our society right now, I think it's unwise to go out of our way to associate the only alternative to the fascist party with uh, a radical left-wing ideology, even if they don't really hold it. But just 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 uh, just associating the party with people who do hold that label, I'm worried has negative political consequences and will increase the odds that fascism will prevail. And there's historical precedent for that. It's not that I think that um, AOC wants to seize the means of production. It's that I'm worried that when she calls herself a socialist as a Democrat, that's going to decrease the chances that Joe Biden wins, which is the only way to stop fascism in America in the near term. I guess what I'm saying and the reason I, you know, you want to correct to say socialist curious when I'm like, I'm just like socialist. So, for example, like, um, you know, I call myself an atheist. I'm not really an atheist. There's a lot more spirituality to, to, to my kind of outlook on life than just like pure atheism. And, you know, agnostic is closer, but like spiritual agnostic, something like that. But I don't ever bother to argue those labels because um, atheist is a hated term by a large segment of the population in America. And, um, and, and I could probably draw a distinction to save myself from a little bit of it. Honestly, no, the people that really hate atheists hate people like me too. Yeah, no, that's um, a good point. But I would also, I, 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 as a fellow atheist myself, I would argue that it's not crazy for the democratic party to say, you know, given the fact that atheists are like the second most hated group of people in America, only after pedophiles. Um, and that they're like, there's polling on this, right? A majority of their own party would not support a a member of their own party for uh, for political office who is an atheist. 
in, in both, in the, both in the Republican and Democratic parties. So given that fact, I think it would be perfectly reasonable. In fact, it would it would be a dereliction of duty if the Democratic Party didn't say, look, you can't fucking call yourself an atheist if you're going to run as a goddamn Democrat, unless you live in a, in a county where you can prove to me that that's not a problem. Well, this is the fundamental diff- problem with conservatism versus progressivism, isn't it? Because if we continue to run that playbook... What happens to the Overton window? Does well, I, I believe I believe that over time, um, acceptance of atheism will increase. It already is. Just like how does that happen? With, though, just like well, because of because of people, individuals having conversations. But I'm just saying, like, I don't think that the Democratic Party should be associating itself with toxic labels um, when we're trying like to atheism defeat, and socialism. Uh, when we're trying to defeat a, 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 a wannabe dictator. I don't think that it's smart. I think it's unwise to seed these because like, yes, it's it's an argument and a discussion we have to have. But we're not talking about a significant, you know, we're talking about three or four people in the Congress Congress and Senate in very blue districts. That's true. That's true. But then then Trump voters voters see see those people. Okay, so celebrated as the most beloved members of the Democratic Party on Twitter. Play this out. And they interact with people on Twitter who say things like, I can't wait to send you to a re-education camp, right? That is going to radicalize those people. This, okay, but there are people in Congress and Senate right now who have, I mean, I don't know if they're right now, but within the last 10 years who have adverly said stuff like, you know what, slaves actually had it pretty good. And I don't know if, you know, uh, if, if blacks have ever made any kind of contributions along the lines of like Western culture and like openly racist, crazy things. Yeah, there's many like, reasons like, why I'm not a Republican anymore. But, 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 but what you're saying is like, Play this out on the Overton window for me. Play this out your your opinion on, on on this on the Overton window in a way that socialism or atheism ever gains popularity. Well, uh, to be clear, I actually it's don't want out. socialism to gain popularity, but I, it absolutely is already. Um, a majority of millennials are being pulled already said that they would be willing to vote for a socialist. But why is that? Is it because people? It's stop because Bernie Sanders has been going around in misinforming people about what socialism is. <laughs> Okay. Um, then I, I guess I can say all Republicans and you yourself are going around misinforming people what capitalism is because it's not pure capitalism. Well, it's I don't think that what I don't think that what I don't think that what the 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 new Republican establishment and to some extent even the old guard um, are fighting for is capitalism. I'll, I'm, I, I agree with that point. I, I feel I, like I think, so, it, I think I, at this point the Democratic establishment is is to the right of the Republican establishment since the, since the rise of the alt-right. Wait, say that again. You think that what? Yeah. Since the rise of the alt-right, which I consider to be relatively left wing. Um, I think that the democratic oh. establishment is actually to the right of it. Like I, I'm supporting Biden because I think he is a more conservative option. I think he's also a more progressive option because I don't think those are mutually exclusive things. But Biden wants Biden's um, frankly, for example, he's more pro free trade than Donald Trump, right? You have to go all the way to a self-styled socialist like Bernie Sanders to find somebody in the Democratic Party who is as hostile to free trade as Donald Trump is. So I don't think it's crazy for me to say that what he's standing up for is more like, hey, we need to have more kleptocracy. We need to enshrine the idea that the government is owned by business um, as opposed to having a separation between the two. 
We need to make sure that there is a certain class of people who is above the law. I oppose all of that, which is why I'm a Democrat now. I feel like um, the, uh, there, there's got to be a reason why I shine away from this Overton window argument, because um, I think it's I think I'm just 100 percent right. Like if we play your playbook and we don't allow even people in extremely safe, progressive areas, ultra blue areas um, flirt with what you might consider extreme ideology, but ideology that's, that's honestly, no one's talking about season to means of production. No one's, your argument is like some mean kids on Twitter talked about guillotines and it scared me so much that I've, that I, that I'm supporting. Yeah. So allow allow me to clarify that because I, I I don't want us to misunderstand each other because I think that's not productive. Right. So I call myself liberal, right. Um, Mm -hmm. Even though I am fine with some social liberal policies, right? I oppose the our current approach to social democracy, uh, but I support policies like UBI, which you want to call market socialism, and and I don't think it's. I think a lot of people call market socialism. I think, it's a form of market socialism. So again, um, setting aside um, the semantic disagreement, I think that it's okay for me to call myself liberal because my ultimate goal is for our society to be as liberal as possible. I don't think there is such a thing as too much liberalism. I think there's more than one way to be liberal, right? And so if someone calls himself a socialist, I assume that, okay, so they're advocating for this or that social democratic policy, but they're they're not calling themselves a social democrat, right? They're calling themselves a democratic socialist, which even though it sounds similar is a wildly different thing. So given that fact, I think it's fair of me to assume that their ultimate goal is socialism. What if my ultimate goal is to have more socialism mixed into our mixed economy and to go more towards market socialism? That and would I feel actually still – I think that I would recommend that you call yourself wait, 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 but, a social democrat. I'm talking but, – but you're, you're – I disagree because I think where I understand myself being on the Overton window and people are irrationally and I think hysterically against terms like atheism and socialism, my idea is to embrace those terms – and to have a very reasonable take on what that is and a very like, you know, pure socialism might work 200 years from now when we got fusion. I think that to move the Overton window in a way in a place is going to move society more just. I have to stand up for the, athe- the, the labels of atheism and socialism and 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 live the toxic negativity around that down and show that it's not scary because otherwise I'm imprisoned in a society where any good idea is deemed a socialist. Any person, Joe fucking Biden, is being called a socialist in this environment. Yes, and the left people, also called people Barack Obama a fascist. Sure, but who is holding the reins of power in this country, real publican? It is not the radical left. It is, in fact, the radical right. And to effectively oppose those, I need a bunch of allies around me, and I'm willing to broaden out a, a label like atheist and so and, and demystify and de- because otherwise – Every single per- good idea is going to be labeled socialist and be deemed a non-starter. The centrists will be like, "Well, we can't." It's, that's been associated with socialist. I'm just going to redeem the label because okay. it's not. Yeah, no. I think can, can we just agree to disagree about that for a little while and come back to it, Iran? I, I take your point. Yeah. Um, and I I think that it's a fairly reasonable point. I don't think that you're. I don't think that you're being totally crazy. Okay. Okay. I understand. I think the example of. I'll take of, that as a win. I think the example of atheism is a good one, right? Um, and we have an example where it's actually worked, which is with LGBT rights, right? Like people, instead Reclaiming. of, well, for, well, I mean, for example, instead of shying away from the word queer, 
people reclaimed that word and it's worked out for them. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, It also worked prior to that to embrace alternative, more positive sounding words like gay. Mm -hmm. You know, so there's different approaches to it. And I don't think that your approach is completely without merit. Um, I just think I I would just point out that there's, there's short-term and long-term strategy. And I would argue, and you don't have to agree with this, but my point is simply that when the alternative is a fascist, maybe we focus on short-term strategy for the time being. And then we revisit this after we get that son of a bitch out. Well, short-term strategy for me is like uh, cracking down on the the knucklehead radical leftists that say that electoralism is doomed, that we need a revolution and stuff like that's where I'm fighting the other side of the Overton window. Okay, great. Yeah. So, so we actually agree there a lot more just than, like, than like you think. And to, clar- to clarify, right. I note, note right here that I've spent, you know, I've almost every single episode of this podcast, I've said these words, we have to defeat Donald Trump, right? I wouldn't be saying that um, to the same extent or necessarily even at all. I don't know if he was running against an actual honest to God socialist, which I don't even consider Bernie Sanders to be. You see what I'm saying? So so I actually agree with your point that the radical left or this, that, 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 that level of radical left is not a problem. Um, in in the United States, we I think we disagree a little bit about w- what Trump Trump's movement is. I I think I really 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 believe that Trump's movement has more in common with the radical left than it does with anything you could call far right. It's um, populist, man. I don't know why. I don't I don't understand why you do this because there's already a word for it. It's populism. Donald yeah. Trump is a populist, and there's left wing populist, there's right wing populist. So we can argue about the morality of those sides, but like. This horseshoe theory is, I think, kind of bunk, really. Well, yeah, but like, I mean, you want to say two acts, I, I, I actually, libertarian uh, thing that I can go with that. But like, I, it's just, it's, it's, um, it's cheap, and I don't think accurate to start talking about like, well, actually, if you consider the alt right is a leftist, that's just, that's, I mean, what am I, I supposed? Mean, to okay, so let's talk about what real far right policy would actually look like. You would not have social security in a far right policy platform. You would not have Medicare. You would not have welfare. You would not have food stamps. You wouldn't have any of those things. You wouldn't have um, a progressive tax code, although we both acknowledge that it's not as, quote, progressive as um, as it could be or as I think we both want it to be, right? So I'm just saying, like, I think we need to put those in perspective. Also, look at the fact that, as I said, Donald Trump is as hostile to free trade as Bernie Sanders, and they're both really – they're both – very wrong yeah, about taking that position. The populist does something that's But I mean, like, I, it, on the one hand, you're like, oh, you know, we really need to think carefully about our political terms and we don't want to get things misconstrued. But then you say stuff like the alt right is actually alt left. And like, oh, no, well, no, that's not okay. But like, I mean, I'm trying to talk us off a cliff here because I really want to keep our conversation productive and really, but, but really you, friendly so because I, I really I'm, like you and I'm, I'm trying I feel like you're I feel like you're misunderstanding me but you're not allowing me to explain myself well it's because like um and it might be because I'm 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 coming from a conservative position and I kind of like um I feel like that when I have a conversation with my friends and family and they start talking about the problem with black people and it's like their culture, right? Uh, I like to keep asking questions about like, why? Well, what's, what is it with their culture? What is it? Because like, and you always get to a point where a person starts kind of hemming and hawing and saying, well, I'm not sure about that because you've reached a point where you're now at an emotional level. 
it's not an intellectual level and they're aware that like oh god what i'm about to say is probably racist but i don't i'm not really a racist and i don't want to say it and i feel like you know when we're talking about socialism and fascism alt-right and alt-left i do really think you hold some views that if you articulated to me you would understand that that would be offensive um and you don't want to go that far but then when we start in a conversation those things kind of come out and little did and, and it feels like to me and when i was listening to Corey, i feel like to him too they feel like little like jabs and digs okay it, it, what what the part of the problem is a lot of the people listening to this conversation right now will have listened to 140 conversations of mine right and so they understand why i call the alt-right left-wing but you um, don't yet know what I mean by that. And so I'm trying to kind of catch you up with the listeners. Um, well, but, but, sure. But like for my, so, so for someone that doesn't understand that, it's like, it's weird to be like, I'm dealing with a person that's want to be hyper precise with labels on some things and then be incredibly broad and revolutionary and explanatory and on other expansions of labels. Okay. So and, can I explain to you why like I don't believe that's the case? Okay, sure. Okay. Yeah. So, you said something like, I have to accept this really broad definition of capitalism, meaning yourself. You have to accept this very broad definition of capitalism. I actually am not saying that, right? I, I'm, I'm saying we already have a, a mixed economy um, mm -hmm. and that we already have social liberalism. You want us to move more toward the social side of social liberalism. I want to move us more toward the liberal side of social liberalism, right? And mm -hmm. if I'm forced to choose between the two extremes, I would prefer the 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 liberal extreme over the socialist extreme um but you know i actually think that when people characterize it as you must pick between this extreme or that extreme that's extremely corrosive of democracy it's a strategy that radicals benefit from donald trump's trying to do it right now right he well no, he, that, he that's why that his ideas are so unpopular and he's such he's he's perceived as such a radical that the only way he's going to get enough Americans to vote for him anyway is to scare them into thinking the alternative is an even worse radical. And what I'm all I'm saying is on a and we can agree to disagree about this, but on a matter of short term strategy, I'd rather not help him do that. Uh, yeah, I, and I'm like, I, I think that um, while short term strategy, I'm encouraging everyone to register to vote and vote for Biden. It's a clear choice because the thing that's insane to me is that this is popularly perceived as a as a showdown between the ultra right and the ultra left. It's a showdown. Yeah, can I can I just left. point out something obvious? The average person uh -huh. is 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 doesn't know what they're talking about. Which right? is I why mean, I'm trying to like to educate in these terms. And like, what you said about the L, I mean, you under I can tell you understand my argument. You just think that the stakes are slightly different, and the best force, the best course to quote unquote move forward is to like muzzle all the loud socialists. Let's get this thing done through Biden, and then but like. The, but but what belies it is like you know you you say that you don't want socialism to succeed which like you know i don't want maoist leninist gray pajamas wearing everyone has the same 10 by 10 concrete block apartment with shitty uh, you know second rate drunk doctor shaky hands healthcare. like i don't want that if that's pure socialism i don't want it that came out of the barrel of a I gun think, i think you would agree that when you try to force society um in that direction very quickly 
and and on top of that, it's often done by people. We talked about this in our last conversation. It's often done by people who are the least qualified and least capable yeah. people in society. Of mm-hmm. course, it's going to lead to bad things, right? So, um, so yes, I'm just saying I am being consistent in the in the sense that I'm not I'm I'm using for pure capitalism. I'm using a definition that does not apply to pretty much any politician. It certainly doesn't apply to any uh, policy platform that's on the table. And the and and same thing with my definition of pure socialism. Nobody is calling for either of those things credibly in either party right now. Um, and and I think it's also important that so this but might help you understand. So I just like can I try right. to help you understand why why I'm calling the alt right relatively left wing, relatively meaning by which I mean on some issues to they're to the left of. I mean it's a, it's a t- you can try, but it's a tough sell. And like I want you to do it one step at a time, and let's argue each step because. It's, it's it's actually I mean, kind of just one step, but but do you understand that this is like you know even if you can defend it, this is like it, it's hard for me to take you seriously when you say defunding the police is a terrible idea from like an optics and a jargon term, and then saying that the alt right is actually or they're all yeah the alt right is actually left wing is not problematic. Okay, yeah, um, well. Because I'll, I'll hear your argument, but well, that's, I have, that's, I have that's different. The... I guess, like to clarify, I have different goals here, right? I we have a, a very thoughtful audience, as you do, I'm sure, right? Anybody mm-hmm. who's willing to sit and listen to a very long form intellectual conversation like this is, uh, you know, certainly not an echo chamber for sure. Right, that's, and so and so so I have on. the local goal of I want I I think that we should get down into the weeds. I think I, we share that goal. It actually frustrated me that that Corey didn't want to go there. Right, I'm just worried that you're trying to you're trying to dig up every single weed in one conversation, and that that the consequence of that is going to be that we don't get a chance to actually fully dig out any weeds. I'd like to pick a weed and dig it out. Okay. And then, go, and, then and, and like if other weeds come up because they're tangentially related, we will put a pin in that weed. <laughs> this is a terrible metaphor, and we'll come back to it. You know what I mean? That's all. That's, that's so. But okay, so just one step. Would you agree that there's a? I guess we could make this two steps because I'm going to ask you a rhetorical question to line it up. Would you agree that there's a difference between Donald Trump and a Donald Trump voter? Yes. Okay. So while Donald Trump may be, and I will give you this, he may very well be an actual right-wing populist who is trying to cynically manipulate people in order to push through right-wing policy. I don't believe that's necessarily the case. And if it was, I honestly would be less scared of him than I am. But even if I grant you that, that, that he may very well be that, if some of the people voting for him are motivated by left-wing ideas, whether they're aware of it or not, I still think it makes sense to call those people left-wing. Would you agree with that? Yeah, but like this is where, you know, you get into the the so- nationalist socialist is actually left wing policy because they had the socialist in the. Their, Believe it or not, I don't even I don't even have to go that far. All I have to do is point this out. OK, um, on on the subject of free trade, Donald Trump's voters and also Donald Trump, at least in terms of the policy he articulates. Right. And to some extent, based and the policy he actually has done to deleterious results are to the left of the establishment of the Democratic Party. So, mm-hmm. like, you know, I'm not saying that they're to the left of everybody on everything. I think that. Um, but so, Biden- so it's weird. That, but yeah, but this, so, so you're saying on one axis, on one way of looking at this populist movement that they share the same goals. And, I, you know, you can see that looking at Tucker. Uh, what the hell is his name? Tucker Carlson. Carlson. 
Yeah. I'm not even really thinking about Tucker though. See, I think that's part of the difference. This might be, this is kind of interesting. I noticed this with Corey as well. Um, And this, this is actually kind of a difference between left and right and progressive and conservative, broadly speaking, the way we talk about it. There does seem to be a case where um, your side, um, so to speak, uh, does want to kind of place the blame on elites. So you want your you as you ask me like who are the people actually in government who have this or that idea, right? Whereas I recognize, I personally would argue that the blame always has to go back to the voter. And if 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 uh, I mean at least as long as we actually have a democracy, a democratic republic, right? That mm-hmm. like when if if people are motivated as Donald Trump's movement is. So keep in mind, this is coming from the perspective of somebody who has, I have a very different conservative background than you do. So my conservative background is coming from the perspective of not ever having been anything like a Donald Trump voter, but being somebody who thought that we were, we were manipulating those people cynically in order to get them to vote for actual right-wing policy, even though they didn't want it. Mm-hmm. I, I, so, and what I see happening is that Trump has handed the reins of the power off to Dixiecrats who were never properly right-wing, at least not economically. And we can talk about cultural issues separately, but in short, I don't believe that cultural issues fit on the left-right spectrum, really. I think that they're wedge issues that were used to divide the working class against itself. Um, And I supported the outcome of that, but not the strategy of it. But like setting cultural issues aside, I think that Donald Trump's movement is clearly, clearly much more working class than the Republican establishment. And that not only that, but Republican voters, for example, until very recently, it used to be true that college educated white people were a reliable voting Democrat for Republicans. Not true anymore. It used to be true that affluent people in the suburbs were a reliable voting Democrat for a demographic for um, Republicans. Not true anymore. Donald Trump has turned the, the GOP into a reactionary working class labor movement. That in exactly in, but in almost exactly the same way that Hitler did Nazi Germany and that they will not ever, they, they, they cynically will appeal to those. This is the whole descriptive versus prescriptive. You know, they're whipping them up over like, look at how bad these things look at this accurate description of the world. Here's this prescription is the prescription you know, help with health care is a prescription lower taxes on the labor class is prescription strengthening. No, it's the prescription is bigger wealth giveaways for the wealthy. And yeah. And, it, and even if I was to grant you, I don't agree with this, by the way, but even if I was to grant you that um, that the Nazis were right wing. I'm I'm not, but like let's just say for the sake of argument I do. Well, you're okay. Well, let's just say for the sake of argument I do. That would mean that at least some of the people, arguably most of the people, who backed them were doing so from a a, a clearly labor working class motivation perspective. They weren't doing it from like a oh you know we need to shrink the safety net and do away with regulations perspective. No, it's like we need to take care of the real Germans, the real folk, and we yeah, will. Yeah, yeah, those aren't. That's not a word for right wing. That's a word for fucking racist. It's populist. I mean, it's uh, yeah, and that's racist and stuff. But yeah, like I, that's what I'm saying. Like, um, I don't know. Like, uh, it's a consensus. And, and you know, one thing I like to do on on three right turns is stick to kind of consensus uh, expert opinion. And it's a consensus expert historical opinion that. 
Nazi Germany was a right wing outfit, you know, like if you want to personally disagree with that, that's fine. But the preponderance of historians and, you know, political science theorists would disagree with you. And that's a problem. I, I, th- I think that that's a, I think you're, I, I, you're largely correct. I think you're overstating your case a little bit there. Um, I mean, it's not not 97.3 like global warming, but it's like 75.25, wouldn't you say? I I would say that the way way that most people use the terms left and right, um, it applies. So if you you think of liberalism as like the middle of the political spectrum – and you mm-hmm. think of fascism as as the right side of it and communism as the left side of it, then what you just said is true. That's not the way that I look at the political spectrum. And really, all the political scientists will tell you that there's no one correct, um, perfect model for That's looking true. at for looking at the political spectrum, right? And so I'm just saying that there's other ways of looking at it. Um, and if you're looking at it from my perspective, which is that I don't, I think that these cultural wedge issues are beside the point. Um, and that when you just look at if you if you were to if you were to think of capitalism versus you know alternatives to capitalism as as your guiding light, then it's very obvious that um, that both quote national socialism and communism are anti-capitalist. And so that's that's the sense in which I consider it left wing. I also consider it left wing just right. in the just in the undeniable sense of them being very working class. Movements. Yeah, but you're talking like rhetoric versus because like, you know, there again, like one of the defining characteristics of fascism was a fusion of uh, business and national interests. So like yeah, and a fusion that would say that the fusion of business and national interests is hostile to capitalism. Huh? Right. So like, yes, the Nazis allowed people to keep keep capital, <laughs> but only if you agreed that you would do everything the way the state wanted you to do it. If you wouldn't go along with doing it in the interest of, of the nation, the collective, yeah. right? I just, again, like, I, I don't, man, like, I just don't understand why this is, why, why it's important to, uh, like, like I said, it's just, there's something, um, and, and uh, we're going to have to wrap things up pretty soon, but I'm going to have to re-listen this conversation because it just, it does feel like, and maybe it's on my end, um, but it does feel like there is, uh, you know, what's what Marx is always talking about dialectical systems standing in opposition. It does feel like there is a little bit something inconsistent um, with the hyper-specificity and focus on certain labels um, versus the wanting to sweepingly redefine the common understanding of certain labels and the historic and academic uh, consensus. And it feels like, you know, um, from my perspective, that it's politically motivated. Like, um, actually, I, I don't uh, and, and the problem is because that. we're talking no, but, about strategy. But like, that, that's something I think it's important to point out. I think it's important to point out that I am intentionally making an ar- a good faith argument using the exact model that my enemies prefer. If you talk to an actual hardcore socialist, they will tell you liberalism is right wing. Right. So they don't think liberal belongs in the center. But I think that's the, but I think those people are stupid, Rio. And no, I don't, I don't think they are. I think that I think that I think I think I think that it's important to recognize. That OK, they're not, they're not like, stupid, I, like, I try, I try to understand people where they're really coming rhetoric. from. I try to understand people where they're really coming from. And I, I think that I think that, uh, you know, communist thought and socialist thought, especially the more sophisticated examples of it get some things right. I think that I think that part of the reason society is in the position it's in now where liberal values are in so much danger 
is because by 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 spinning what may have been a self-serving narrative for liberals at the time that liberalism is just the middle, right? And that it's the nice middle ground. That was very beneficial to those of us who wanted liberalism when being centrist was popular, right? But what happened is that resulted in it kind of becoming this background noise of the status quo. Um, and people are taking it for granted. And I think it's important right now that we have a resurgence of people who are willing to stand up for liberal values that people have forgotten. Yeah, but I just like you go into this historical, like, you know, liberals siding with fascism and Nazi Germany, liberals fi- siding with uh, imperialist loyalists and, and uh, uh, you know, the Bolshevik revolution led to these violent, bloody authoritarian regimes where I have to wonder if liberals had sided with labor and socialists and at, at any time in its history, what society would have emerged. From I that. believe we have an example of what that looks like, and it is the what best is that? thing that has ever happened. Maybe we can agree on that. Social liberal policy, social democracy, like we already have in America, right? You want to make it more so, which is a perfectly reasonable position that we can talk about, right? But that is it. Social liberalism is what happens when liberals side, side with socialists. They, they won't go all the way to fascists unless you force them to. And you'll force them to if you, if you keep saying, like, give us an inch and we'll, we'll want a mile. But I'm not saying that. And that's what I'm saying. The idea that liberals are ever forced into fascism is um, – it feels like – I mean, I understand why they would want to do that, why you know the merchant's class would side with the, the, the nobility – in a peasant revolt. And I understand why uh, moneyed interest would side with national socialists over a labor, uh, you know, labor party. And um, it's just, it seems like it's a historical to say that that was the right play in, in retrospect. Um, I don't. I, and, and also <laughs> like when we go bring up what circle, I'm actually saying, what I'm saying, what I'm saying, like, what I'm saying is that if, if, if you force them to choose between two extremes, don't be surprised if they pick the, the extreme you don't want. Right. But who's forcing them? Ilan Omar and, and, and Alexander Ocasio. If we had 30 of those in Congress, it's it, it, it if we had, you know, tw- 25 in a house and five senators, it still wouldn't be. A I agree with that. Choice between, like maybe that's part of the reason but, you're being frustrated with me is because no matter how many times I say that, you seem not to want to accept it. I agree that it's not that big of a threat. What I'm saying is optically, as a matter of strategy, let's maybe not make it easier for Trump to spread the lie that it is. But what's easier? Like what? But but what's what is easy? I mean, I guess the question is what's easier, faster, and more long term efficacious? Because I feel like. Do you think it's long-term efficacious if we lose our democratic republic entirely? We turn into an authoritarian banana republic? Because that's going to be the outcome of the short-term game that we're playing right now. But the short-term – who's playing the short-term game? Because I want to know who the people who are feeling like they're forced to vote for Donald Trump because of scary socialists. And is the the solution to run away from the term – like – and this is like you know every progressive thing like – you know, uh, like abolitionism, um, labor party movement, civil rights movement. It always starts with people like, geez, Louise, you guys are having reasonable out. You know, you're asking for reasonable things, but it's not the right time. You're going about it in the wrong way. And it seemed like the winning strategy is to no, let's fight on this ground. Let's make you understand that what you think it is, is not what it actually is. And like we've had hundreds of years of that kind of propaganda explaining what true capitalism is and isn't. And we have fought a, a, a war against trying to have that same conversation within socialism. Um, 
And I don't know, it's mirrored in a lot of different ways. For example, like, you know, we want to be like Christianity, gold standard, moderation. We had a reform movement. Everything's cool. But like, holy hell, the 20th century was soaked with Christians killing other Christians. And, you know, if you go back each century, it looks worse and worse. But like, you know, uh, Islam stops, steps onto the world scene and they need to be where we're at right now. You know, they can't have any internal conflict and they got to keep I just feel like we ought to just have the conversation. We ought to just like, you know what? We can't shy away from accurate labels that have, you know, merit to them. And like, maybe I didn't need to do the work with you. Like, if you're just afraid of like, uh, like, 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 like being afraid of pure socialism in an environment where it seems like we're way far away from that. Um, but not being afraid of being called like a capitalist or whatever. It, it just seems contradictory. And like I said, I'm not it, sure it's I'm a, I think it's a genuine, honest disagreement over short term. Cause I yeah, think we can no, it's a Trump. disagreement. I agree. Yeah. It's a disagreement over short term strategy. And I think the reason that, that this is the very disagreement that upset Corey so much. And I think the reason that it is so, um, upsetting is that we do both really want to make sure that Trump loses. Right. Uh, we actually do understand the stakes. A lot of low information voters who do not understand what a threat Donald Trump is and who dismiss that threat but as, oh, just mainstream media propaganda, which is another way that the alt-right sounds a hell of a lot like the far left, right? Just rhetorically. Um, then, you know, those a lot of those people yeah, are, are going to say they're going to believe Donald Trump when he says, well, look, the Democrats almost nominated a socialist twice. Right. And it's and so he's going to try to paint Biden as a, you know, a puppet of the left. Um, and it does actually look like based on polls of millennials, for example, it does look like not just the Democratic Party, but the country is already moving more toward the direction that you want it to go. So I guess that's part of where my frustration is coming from is one. I don't think that our actual society is as hostile to social democratic ideas as you seem to think they are. I think that we are already um, a, a society with a lot of social democratic um, protections. Um, and you're dealing with a liberal party that is already willing to compromise a hell of a lot with you guys on healthcare and so forth. And I'm worried that you're going to shoot yourselves in the foot. I mean, yeah, I know who you're talking to because I, I worry about all those things too. But I'm just like, if it's if it's a few hundred thousand screaming loud leftists on Twitter that undo the, the liberal um, social democrat alliance, that says a hell of a lot more about liberal centrists than it does about quote unquote my side. Do you agree? <sighs> and like, can, um, can we define? Like, know, unless I think, you're going to say of, that, like, I young, think part, part young of the problem members, is that. Part of the problem is that so is that social media amplifies radical voices, um, and it it actually like it's really funny to see Trump supporters and Bernie Sanders supporters complaining about how supposedly you know social media has it in for them, and because they're this you know, evil corporate. This is the staggering point, though, Rio. We're talking social media in, in a political in terms of political power because it's like, extremely powerful. Donald Trump would absolutely not be president today. If it weren't for things like Facebook, I would trade uh, the supposed liberal or uh, leftist hegemony of Twitter for all of the Supreme Court, uh, district court, um, uh, circuit court appointees and the soft power of the presidency and the trade. You know what I'm saying? Like, 
Yeah. yeah no, I guess I agree. Right. Can I, so let me let me take it. We have to. We do so start having to wrap up, and I'm rather yeah, frustrated. Sure. We didn't get to to talking about the facts related to propertarianism that I wanted to get to. Yeah, we didn't even we didn't even get to the first principles stuff, man. It's just uh, got no, got. You, those... We'll do a postmortem on this, and and uh, we'll we'll try to figure out how to do better in the future. But I I just want to like make take it back to where we were at, which is like, um, you know, we are we are having this conversation in good faith. Um, mm-hmm. I, I do want to find common ground. I do want to understand your perspective better. I want to make sure you're understanding my perspective better. And I, I think that we actually touched on one, one really big difference that I think is really relevant, which is that, you know, um, you seem to, to, and I'm, I think maybe we're both right in a way, right? Like you, you, you want to call the alt-right far right because you believe that Donald Trump is cynically manipulating economically left-wing voters to vote against their interests. What I'm saying is, as somebody who was in favor of the actual outcome of that when it was going on, I'm worried that that's not actually the case. And the 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 fact that Donald Trump's authoritarian movement is as hostile to liberal values as I see them as being um, makes me that much more afraid. It also makes me more conservative, frankly, because it, it, the way I look at it is if this is what happens when we let the working class get their way, fuck them. Well, I mean, there's a ter- that that that's a terminus. I mean, like I get I understand the impulse, but damn, dude, <laughs> you know, uh, that's that's uh, that 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 that's um. I mean, I, I'm an anti-accelerationist and saying fuck the the working class because, you know, we've been steadily dismantling their institutions and safety nets and their educational systems. And and we've we've generated all this wealth and left them behind that. I know where that's going to go, um, you know, and it's it's going to be uh, it's going to be horror. So I, I don't want that to happen for sure. Well, I think that what that's not actually what what is really going on. What's going on is that we have. We have a um, an establishment um, candidate in Joe Biden who is trying to de-radicalize the working class by actually moving things in the direction you want it to go. And the biggest obstacle in the way of them accomplishing that is the populist working class themselves. Mm. I don't know. We'll see. Um, I think that uh, I mean, like literally, literally every single elite liberal Republican is going to vote for Joe Biden. Every one of them. Yeah. And I think that what will happen is in if I, I hope if if Joe Biden wins, we'll get four years about Biden and, uh, you know, things will get marginally better. But like the systemic issues that we've been seeing for several generations now and the wealth and inequality, that stuff won't fundamentally change and that people in the Democratic Party will be more open to uh, more leftist solutions and won't be as panicked about like, you know, my God, I got a gun to my head and it's Trump or this this other dude. Um and I, you know, I want to reform democracy too. I want to get things put in place like first past or not first past the post, uh, ranked choice voting, um, you know, make things other fa- like yeah. you know, fair and d- democratic and more representation, less high stakes, more mm-hmm. encouraging coalition building. Yeah. I want to do like, I'm really passionate about that stuff too. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, I am as, a, as am I, as you know. Acceleration. I am anti-authoritarianism. I'm anti-acceleration. I'm anti-revolutionary. I am like I I want to get to a Star Trek full luxury space communism society, but I I don't have warp drive. I have a single cylinder engine and I have a wooden frame with stretched canvas and I want to see if it will get a few feet off the ground. And if it does, then we can see, you know, 
Um, but you know, like I, I guess there, I can easily see a future 20 years from now where like these ideas are popular and they seem to be working, but you're still, you know, in, in, in opposition because of some, uh, human rights, uh, uh, issue. And that's where I'm like, I really want to dig at that because like, if you're right, I want to make sure I'm on the right side of uh, the barricades fighting with the, the angels, you know, um, like I said, if, I, if, if I'm right now, you ask me, uh, people are coming for your property, your house. They're forcing you and your your partner and your 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 dogs and your cats out and cast you in the streets and and turning it into tenement housing for the like I'm I'm with you in that battle because um, that's not the way. But um, I just want to make sure that, yeah, we're able to make progress moving forward. Yeah, no, I, I definitely um, I'm glad I didn't interrupt you, though, because what you said was beautiful. Um Okay, so in, in closing here, I, let's uh, try to at least come to one understanding as a consequence of this so it's productive. So to return to your example of atheism, which I, I think is actually a really good example, I, I really appreciated you bringing that up. Um, I think that the answer to doing that um, is for yes, for more people to pride, proudly wear the label, yes, to stand up for it as a label and as a belief system, right? Um, but I think that the, we can move the needle in, culturally in terms of social acceptance of atheism without running atheists pol as politicians, and that our goal should be to move that needle. Um, and as soon as it's moved far enough, then we will start running people. And there's an example of that working, which is, which is again, LGBT people. We, we, we just recently had our first credible um, gay... Uh, candidate for president that would have been unthinkable um even when i was just a kid or ten years, ten ago. years ago ten years ago yeah 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 um and in the case of socialism culturally the socialists are winning right now millennials are willing to vote for socialists um as a majority now it, you know it's nothing like a majority of americans yet so all i'm right. saying is like let's um let's and young people don't vote tragically <laughs> <laughs> so i i would say it's actually compatible with your own your own uh perspective on strategy to say like you know let's uh let's you know um crawl before we walk etc right i think i think that we need to have we I, I don't actually share your goal by the way of socialism socialism becoming more mainstream but i'm just saying like if that's your goal you're already succeeding at it and in the case of atheism i would just wait until the polls on atheists are better and they are getting better but wait until the polls on atheists are better before i start running them especially when losing is as high stakes as it is right now. And I got, but I, I still think, man, there's a couple blue counties in California and New York where they ought to try to run some socialists. And I'm talking about atheists. And if they win, um, you know, I would expect whoever is the party leader to not shit on those people, like to, to say tolerant, you know, talk about liberal tolerance and ideals and that kind of stuff the same way that I would defend, you know, your, your personal property and the safety and security of your individual against collective attacks. Yeah. Against it. Yeah. I would hope that, and I, I just don't see that. I see a lot of like, well, let's repudiate it. Let's not yeah, do that. I, 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 I'm just advocating well, a I'm little just, bit of boldness in places where we can. I agree. I agree. But part, part of the problem though, is that there is yeah. this, there is this fundamental tension between um, making progress locally and being able to achieve the kind of power that you need nationally in order to enact the kind of change that you want to see.
right? And you're so not, you're not wrong about that. Yeah. So that, I'm, I'm just saying, like, I, I don't think it's crazy for Nancy Pelosi to, wh- while she may personally celebrate the fact that people like AOC are able to win locally. I don't know. Maybe she does. Maybe she doesn't. Right. But regardless of that, I don't think it's crazy for her to, to recognize that having outspoken, very popular and charismatic representatives of the party calling themselves that is a problem for them on the national level in the short term. So I, I think that there is a um, there's a, there's some tension between those two goals of winning locally yeah. is totally realistic and it certainly would help the cause of normalizing the term atheist. But if it means that Donald Trump gets reelected because we nominated an atheist for president, that you know, you see, that's I think not a crazy thing right. for somebody to be. I, I just feel so like I, I guess yeah. actually, I think I think we both have um, so, some valid grounding for our position on strategy. There, it's not obvious who is right. No, I don't um, think you're crazy. I just think that yeah, no, I don't uh, think you are either. And 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 I think yeah. we have a lot of common ground. I appreciated you running through all of these things that I also support. I'm going to close out in a tradition that I'm going to start doing now is. Since I am the anchoring host, I think it's really important for me to give you the last word because I have a lot of power to control the overall narrative of this podcast. So, Aaron, you get the last word. No, I appreciate uh, Rio, and like I, again, this is something I'm intentionally doing. I am, uh, even though like uh, I'm not a pure socialist, uh, I do not have. In fact, I skew all that fucking bullshit aesthetic, the red star, the the styling as each other's comrade, the hammer and sickle symbols of oppression for so many around this planet. Uh, I do think we owe a lot, a lot of what we consider this great country uh, to labor movements and to yes, socialist movements. And we have unfairly oppressed and mislabeled and propagandized against that. And I've have, I feel like uh, to win the Overton window, we need to set better examples for what those labels mean and to redefine them and to to kind of go back to like, you know, what was what were these things at the dawn of the the, the, the twilight of the 8th, 19th century and dawn of the 20th century? What were they actually trying to achieve? How did they fail? Where are some Western uh, uh, societies and countries adopted those practices and succeeded? Um, where have they uh, overreached? Uh, uh, where have they ended in misery and tears and authoritarianism? And talk amongst ourselves to how to shore that up. Uh, because again, uh, hauling up this rickety ass biplane of socialism up a mile high cliff and throwing it off is not a winning play. Uh, we need to start small and and uh, uh, from the ground that we stand on and make inter- incremental progress. And that way, nothing scary can ever happen because the people will be able to see each step taken and judge it on its merits and decide if they want to go further. Um, but yeah, I, I, I do think that there is a lot of room for socialist thought in the future of this country's politics. And I'm really looking forward to exploring that and shoring it up and poking holes in it and tearing it apart with Rio in the future. I'm looking forward to that too. And you took impressive use of that. All right. And moving forward is our gumbo. Hi, I'm Aaron from the Three Right Turns podcast, and I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of Moving Forward. I consistently preach that these kinds of difficult but ultimately productive conversations are the ones we need to be having now more than ever. If you think discussions like this have value, I encourage you to visit movingforwardpod.com where you can find links to the show's Patreon. Support from listeners like you funds ways to advertise and grow Moving Forward's audience so more people can hear these crucial conversations.